What's that sound? Do you hear it? Ah, it's silence, you say. Oh yes, I hear it too. I have missed it. After four years of relative chaos and rabble-rousing from the White House, the news over the past few days has been, well, President Trump called it. It's been relatively boring. And after 50 years in public service and three attempts at the presidency, Joe Biden was sworn in at noon on Wednesday. And almost immediately, he began, um, what's it called again? Ah, governing, right? By 8 p.m. on Wednesday evening, President Biden had recommitted the U.S. to the Paris Climate Accords, reversed several aggressive anti-immigration policies, extended the moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures, and released an exhaustive and detailed plan for combating the COVID crisis. And yet, still, the only sound out of the new Biden administration was the voice of White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki as she delivered the first regularly scheduled White House press briefing since March of 2019. I mean, what is even considered normal anymore. I'm Clay Aiken, and this week, Politicon welcomes an expert in White House operations and communications, someone who truly understands how to give a sense of calm in the midst of chaos. Joe Lockhart was the White House press secretary for President Bill Clinton. As an expert on presidential messaging and tone, I'll ask him, how did President Biden do in his inauguration address? How should President Biden handle former President Trump? And how should the media? And how the heck are we going to get along? Hello, Joe. How are you? It's Clay. I'm good. How are you doing? I am. I'm well. Don't you feel like a sense of, I mean, is it, is it weird to not have to worry about what's on the news right now? (laughs) It's, um, you know, it is a, um, you know, it's like losing a limb. Um, I think of, you can still feel the of, itch, but you can't scratch it. <laughs> you, yeah. You're, you're like, you know, it's the pain is still there, but you can't see it anymore. And it's just going to take a while. I think for everyone to decompress. Um, and I think Biden is smart to stay really busy because, uh, it's going to take the reporters a while to readjust to, you know, someone who's not up there, you know, spouting nonsense every day. It's, but it's like, I, I said to somebody, um, yesterday afternoon, it's almost like, not to make things about me, but, but when I ran for office, I remembered the day after the election, when I had lost, I woke up thinking, well, hell, now what do I do? <laughs> and exactly. it's almost like, it feels a little bit like that, that, you know, Twitter, there's no reason to check it. I hadn't been a reason to check Twitter in a while. The news, I don't feel like I need to to refresh every. 10 minutes to see what horrible thing may be happening. There seems to be there, like there's an adult or four in the room that are handling things. And, and I'm, I mean, I was a Joe Biden supporter have been for years, have loved Joe Biden for years. Um, but it, I, I feel like he is so well equipped to handle this moment. And I kind of got that sense from his speech too. Did you have any thoughts on his inauguration speech or and, and where it kind of ranks? Yeah, for yeah. Him? I thought his speech I thought his speech was great. And I, you know, um having been through the process a couple of times, um, you know, great speeches are speeches that capture the speaker's voice. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, Bill Clinton's voice was very different than Barack Obama's. Mm-hmm. And Barack Obama's voice is very different than Joe Biden. Joe Biden has um a sincerity um uh and uh earnestness right that 
um, is authentic to him. That's what he is. I've known him for 30 years. I, that's who he is. Um, it, you know, at times he's Pollyannish, uh, but uh, that the, the, the word I wrote for uh, the speech was that it was authentic. It was just pure Joe Biden. And those are the best speeches. You know, I went into it myself thinking, gosh, we need a we need to ask not type line. And we didn't get one of those soaring rhetorical flourishes necessarily. But after it was over, I thought, but you know what? This is sort of exactly what the country needed right now. We didn't need some soaring rhetoric. We just needed someone to shoot straight. And it felt like that to me. No, it, it's, it's like we, you know, we occasionally write soaring lines for Bill Clinton back in the day. And he didn't like soaring lines. They didn't work for him. He liked to tell stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the punchline is not necessarily ask not what to do for your country. It's just, you know, he likes to explain things. And by, uh, Obama was a soaring guy. He could, you know, he could build you up and make you weep. Um, but that's not Biden. And it wouldn't have worked for him. Right. Did you, did you get a chance to watch the, the press briefing last night? With Jen I did. I did. Jen, Jen is a good friend of mine. So I was, um, I sent her a note that basically said, I think I was more nervous for you than you were. <laughs> she certainly did not seem nervous. I mean, Jen Psaki has done she, Well, I know her. I know her well. Mm -hmm. She was nervous for the first five minutes. Oh, uh, sure. I, I could tell. But um, after like the second question, you could, you could watch her. I mean, she's got a lot of experience. She briefed at the State Department right, right, right. for years. And she did campaigns um, beyond just And Biden, she did campaign right? stuff. Uh, I mean, there's nothing quite like that room, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know that I've ever seen a first-time briefer do as well as she did. How do you feel the press handled that transition? I mean, you that part of the press secretary job, I mean, you know better than me, but I think from watching C.J. Craig on West Wing for all those years, <laughs> I think part of that's, the, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> part of the part of the job is is yeah. not just to give the information, but to have a relationship with the press corps. Is that right? Is that what you had to do when yeah. you were there? Yeah. And, and everybody focuses on the briefing and the briefing is about 15% of the job. Um, and you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the biggest danger uh, Jen and her team will have is they, they're such a contrast uh, with uh, Trump that they're gonna, they inevitably are going to be held to an impossible standard because they're going to make mistakes. Yeah, everybody makes mistakes. They're going to get something wrong or they're going to, you know, spin something a little too hard and... You know, it's going to be like, oh, you were the savior and you're not the savior. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem. Is I, I feel like some of the questions that I have for you are sort of like, help me remember what normal is. Um, because mm -hmm. I because I watched that press briefing last night and I thought, gosh, this seems so different from what I've, I've become used to that <laughs> – I can't remember if this is 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 normal or not. Is the role of the press in that room or within the White House press corps is it to be antagonistic? Do you do you feel like there's always a push from reporters to try to get more than they should have or to get a scoop? I mean, I kind of expected everyone in that White House press room to be so happy that she was giving a press briefing for the first time and 
how how many months since they had a regular one that they would be a little bit less aggressive towards her but they they didn't hold back i mean what is that relationship like between the press secretary and the press i mean and and the reporters who are in that room daily i th- i don't know that i'd use the word antagonistic it can become antagonistic it doesn't always start there i would say it starts with skeptical mm-hmm. um and there's a little um I'm going to use the word game, but I don't mean it like it's not serious. It's very serious. But there's a there's a contest that goes on in every briefing uh, where the, the briefer is trying to get the reporters focused on the president's agenda. And the media is trying to get the briefer focused on what they think the agenda should be. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that battle, you know, contest uh, rages – uh, and some days the press wins, some days the briefer wins. But if you do it often enough, um, at the end of the the day, the public wins all the time because they they get to know things that you know maybe the White House doesn't want to tell them, uh, but they also get to hear things that the White House definitely wants them to hear. Uh, so there's you know the, it's and that's you know you talk about process. The briefings evolve over time. If the briefing. Last night was different than the one I had, which was different than the one 20 years before me. Um, but that, the, what I just described, really hasn't changed. How do you keep uh, from getting- at least since, at least since the 1960s? I think you know the uh, the end of sort of the Kennedy era, where uh, it was kind of clubbish, and the reporters were part of the you know part of almost part of the Kennedy family and you know uh, right. uh, movement. Um, and certainly then changed pretty radically post, you know, Watergate and post-Watergate, where it did become much more adversarial. Uh, but it, again, it's, it's, it's the same basic concept. They want to know more. You want to tell them and enough. And how do you to, keep from losing it on them? Because, I mean, I felt a few times, even last night, I thought, gosh, she answered that already, or she made it clear she's not going to answer it, or no, she doesn't know what he had for breakfast. I mean, there, at some point, is it okay for the press secretary to say, listen, I don't know. I can look for it, but I don't have the answer to that. Or or does she have to come in that briefed? I mean, I know, stupid question to ask, but we've had four years without seeing someone come in as prepared as she was. And it was almost like, right. man, she is just too prepared. Seems a little slick to me. Yeah, I, listen, I think it, t- it takes a while to find your style. And I think, um, you know, Jen is very smart. She knew that, like, every word of every answer would be watched mm. in the first one. Uh, and, you know, signals, everyone would try to determine signals. So she was, you know, she was, she's, she was probably more buttoned up than she will be a couple weeks from now. Cause she's actually, uh, you know, a wonderful person with a wicked sense of humor. And you're going to see that, um, because that's, um, you know, that is part of, uh, being able to do the job. I think the answer I always give on, you know, how do you stand up there and take it? is every day you go out, you have to remind yourself that it's not about you. When they're asking really hard questions of you, uh, it's not about you. They don't care what you think. That what they care is uh, what the president thinks. And the press secretary is the conduit. And a good press secretary will almost always know what the president thinks, but will be judicious about sharing what the president thinks because – Otherwise, why not? And we just invite the press into the Oval Office to sit there all day and, you know, watch, right. you know, and, you know, have the, I guess, the 
Truman Show presidency. <laughs> we pro- uh, we ain't too far from it. I think we just did four years. We, we were not. We did four tell years, you the truth, we were close. pretty. Cl- yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were close to that. One of the things that she kept saying over and over. And and I think this is why I thought, man, she's holding it together real well. I would have lost it by now. Is we're here? We've been here for seven hours. <laughs> we, we, we're seven hours into this. Give us a little bit of time to to kind of analyze this. You'll get more information about COVID tomorrow. You'll get more information about Iran in a, in a day or two, et cetera. There was a really high expectation that was set for Biden to. I mean, there have been very few, if any, presidents in my lifetime who were as prepared on day one as Joe Biden was, you know, resume speaking, there was a big expectation for them to get a lot done in that first seven hours and already have plans. How do you feel they did They had, They had. did in that first afternoon of the administration in the amount they had, had accomplished or, or worked towards um, versus uh, what normally a president does on their first day? Was it about average or did he jump in even in, even deeper than most do? Well, I'd, I'd answer that a couple of ways. I think you're right that um, this group will be held to a higher standard as in they will not be given a lot of runway to learn the job. You know, most first days at the White House, people literally can't figure out how to work the phones because the, the group that was running the building leave and, you know, they might leave you a note to be helpful, but they're not sitting over your shoulder saying, no, 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 that's not how you turn the computer on. Mm. It's it's this way or the phone system works that way. You don't get that kind of help. Everybody's got to figure it out on their own. But the Biden, Biden and his people know how the building works because they were in the building uh, for um, uh, for eight years. So I think, you know, you don't they won't get as much slack as uh, Trump got or Bill Clinton got in 1993 uh, or Bush in 2001. Uh, I do think that they they were very aggressive about getting things done that they could actually do without having to negotiate. I think the number was 15 or 16 executive orders. And the I think, um, you know, from a perception point of view, the fact that most uh, – every press secretary, I believe, um, as far as back as I can remember, has never done a briefing on the day of inauguration. They've always waited for the next day or the day after that. Um, it was, so it was very um, – it sent a very strong message that uh, Jen was willing and able to go out that first night and just And she take made all it clear comers. they're going to do it every day. I mean, I, it seems like she, a – Listen, we're going to return to access and and some sense of normality. Was that what they're trying to get across? Yeah, you know, there's uh, this is this is down in the weeds a little bit, but it but you asked, uh, you know, at the beginning, what is normal? Well, what used to be normal before um, Trump was the press secretary stood there until the reporters were finished. There, there was a generally during my time it was Helen Thomas. Now I think it's an AP reporter. The senior journalist in the room kind of, you know, lets it goes, let, let, you know, and then if it's becoming really repetitive, they will they will thank the press secretary, which is a way of saying huh. the briefing's over. Under Trump, you know, as particularly with Kayleigh McEnany, as soon as she got a question she didn't like, right. she hightailed it out. She so never that's not once normal. Waited. So really, the press is got to normal. kind of you didn't get the you didn't really get to end it yourself. You waited for no, Alan Thomas no. or somebody else to to kind of say we've had. I, I sure. I mean, there were certainly times where it was getting ridiculously repetitive. Where I would look at Helen and say, 
enough? <laughs> and she'd say, and, and, you know, uh, sometimes she said, no, she said, let's huh. keep going. And sometimes, most times she said, yeah, yeah, we're done. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, but there was never a point where I, you know, um, walked away from that podium because I didn't like what was going on. And secondly, there was never a time where I did one of these silly, you know, ridiculous speeches, dropped the mic and stormed off. It's, it's just, you know, that's not normal. And, you know, I'm not saying that everything has to be the same all the time, but some normalcy is healthy here. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Now, I am in the midst of my annual, uh, I'm still in my New Year's resolution, which is, you know, at, um, towards the end of January, I've done pretty well. I've made it this far, almost a whole month of sticking with my resolution, and I've been doing the keto thing. I am cutting out carbs and all those sugars and sticking with a keto-friendly uh, diet, and it's, and it's working. And one of the things that helps make it work, Magic Spoon. This is a cereal. Um, it's got no sugar, 11 grams of protein, only three net carbs. If you're doing keto, you know what a net carb is. Um, only three net carbs in every serving. Um, and that can be the cocoa-flavored cereal, fruity, frosted, blueberry flavors, all of, all of these really great flavors that Magic Spoon has. It's, it's like a kid's cereal, but it's low in sugar, well, zero sugar, high in protein, and very few net carbs. And so you can stay healthy and still enjoy breakfast. And it's, like I said, it's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, GMO-free. It's got all the good stuff that is important if you are trying to stay healthy and still be able to eat cereal like you did when you were young, which I like to try to remember I'm young as much as possible. Go to magicspoon.com slash heck to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code heck at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash heck and use the code word heck to save $5 off. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Podcast. Do you think that, I mean, talking about normality, normalcy, um, how big of a challenge is that going to be beyond just Jen, beyond her press room department, but the communications team and, and, and even higher in restoring that sense of normality for all of us? I mean, not just the way they speak to the press, but some of the things, some of the decisions that Joe Biden makes. Um, you know, I think specifically one of the questions that she didn't quite have uh, as specific an answer as the press wanted last night was on Iran and and whether or not the president is planning on rejoining some sort of Iran nuclear deal or getting back into that. And mm -hmm. what's the fine line that not only the press secretary has to walk, but the president himself on making too many knee-jerk responses. I mean, obviously joining the Paris Climate Accords, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords is a lot easier to do than rejoining the Iran nuclear deal. How, right. how does, what kind of fine line does he have to walk when it comes to making some of these decisions, these big decisions too quickly and, and, and doing them in a way that people realize, okay, there's a grown-up in the room. He's he's not just doing yeah. things to erase what Trump did. 
Well, and some of the st- some of that gets to the president is not the only one who can speak authoritatively. One of the problems in the Trump administration is it didn't matter who spoke. Unless Trump said it, you didn't believe it. Uh, um, because Trump would undercut his people all the time. Hmm. All the time. It didn't matter if they were a cabinet secretary, his press secretary. You know, on Iran, the incoming secretary of state, Tony Blinken, gave a very thoughtful answer during his confirmation hearing earlier that day on what the conditions are as far as um, Iran's nuclear program, what conditions would need to be met as far as rejoining um, uh, the Iran nuclear deal. Um, So, you know, I don't think that um, the press secretary there needed to go much further than that. I think the, you know, the, what makes it a little tricky from time to time is uh, there are times where you just, things are negotiations or, a policy is not quite ready to be revealed. Uh, and the press secretary has to stand there sometimes and just take the heat. And, you know, they, he or she, you know, is, is made to look like they don't know what they're talking about because there's very delicate work going on in the background. And it's one of the jobs of the press secretary, which is sometimes you've got to go out there and just take the lumps uh, because, um the work of governing, the work of national security, the work of legislating is very complicated and, and, and very at times very difficult. Uh, and you don't, you know, there are times where you don't have a good answer. Um, and, you know, reporters, you know, human nature impacts all of this stuff. So reporters will really pile on when they think you don't know the answer or that you're not giving them the answer. And you just have to remember that there is a greater good, um, that, you know, if 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 she says something there um, that negatively impacts the talks with Iran, for example, I have no idea if they're going on or will go on, but pretend they are. Um, that that she has set the U.S. government back. Right. So the the cost. I mean, the 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 idea that somehow you're going to look dumb and you're going to get yelled at uh, really pales in comparison to. Boy, I could really negatively impact U.S. national security. Uh, so that I mean, again, that's just part of the job. Right. And and speaking from experience, sometimes you are just dumb. Sometimes you just say dumb okay, things. Okay, well, but, but there, and, there's a and difference. It happens. There's a difference though yeah. between that specifically because that everything you just hope that people who were watching her speak and as, as listening to her would understand. Okay, she can't quite say specifically what the president plans to do when it comes to Iran, because they're, you know, like you said, they're moving parts here. um, And she has to be circumspect with how she expresses that. But there also are times when it, like the dance, I I don't buy it because that one other question she had trouble with, um, not to say she had trouble with, but to one other question that she didn't quite answer directly um, last night was about, the president's position or feelings when when it comes to the Senate impeachment trial and whether it should be how the president sh- President Trump, former President Trump, should be hand- held accountable um, in the Senate, how President Biden feels about the progress, when the trial should start, et cetera. And she sort of acted, she sort of gave the answer that, well, you know, he's going to leave that up to the House and the Senate. Joe, ain't nobody in America buying 
that President Biden doesn't have an opinion on that. I mean, seriously, <laughs> he's got an opinion. So what? What's the? What was the reason well, for not giving an answer there? Right. So I don't want to pretend to know the oh, answer. Right, right, right. So I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to pretend I know the answer. Okay. And I. And you know, it's what makes the job hard is there's often crosswinds and, and conflicting uh, agendas. I think. Again, in my heart of hearts, uh, I think Joe Biden would say, I don't ever want to hear the name Donald Trump again. Mm -hmm. We don't need to try him. We don't need right. to, uh, you know, let's just move forward. That's what he wants. On the other hand, the people who got Joe Biden elected want him on, on want a, Trump, head on a you, know, <laughs> you know, they <laughs> right. want him on a spit. Right. Uh, and for again, for good reason. So I think, you know, and, and I, in that answer, I think she accurately ref reflected, and that's her job, where Joe Biden is, which was, I, I'm not going to be the cheerleader for this because I'm not sure. I don't want it to get in the way of my agenda. On the other hand, this was really serious stuff, and I, I, I'm not going to dismiss, you know, what 81 million people think. I, I didn't get here by myself. I got here because they put their faith in me. Um, and, you know, I think his view is, uh, and again, her job is to reflect his yes, view is, right. I'm just going to stay out of this. Doesn't that, isn't that when it starts, I mean, everything you just said, and I don't know Joe Biden like you do. I just pretend, I think I know him, <laughs> but that's why he got elected too, because we all, I think so many of us believe that we kind of see his heart like that. And I think what you just said is exactly what I imagined the the Joe ba the Joe Biden in my imagination um, is is thinking too, but isn't there a point where you just say that instead of spinning? I mean, is that is that sort of parsing words carefully choosing how we present this so that we don't really upset either side? Is that not kind of why people don't like politicians? I mean, isn't that the antithesis of what we need now is you know, like we, people want pe Joe Biden would answer things a little more directly. Right. Um, I don't even well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, uh, let me answer it this way. President Trump would have answered that question much more directly and likely would have been lying. So right. um, I, you know, it's, you know, it's like horror. There's politics in Washington um, and there are politics at play here. Um, I, I have no doubt that, the most important thing to Joe Biden is getting this, particularly the COVID and the economic relief stuff through. Um, and he needs to do everything he can to get to get that done. That will include things like probably making some compromises with Republicans, you know, uh, adjusting things uh, here or there, giving some people things that other people think are important. Uh, but he also needs to make sure that uh, the, the, his, his party, the Democrats in Congress, um, are supported and their views are reflected. Um, so if he went out and said, we shouldn't have a trial that would undercut the majority of his party. So it is, it is in the end, good policy. And, you know, Bill Clinton used to always say that good policy is always good politics. And in this case, um, you know, Good politics um, can lead to good policy. Um, you know, sort of allowing the Democrats to go do their thing on the Hill, however he feels about it, um, is important because he needs them. Uh, he needs them to uh, 
get behind his agenda to get things done. And that's, I mean, that's, to me, that's in the, within the parameters of what is normal, acceptable politics, as opposed to what we saw over the last four years. Who's going to be his bigger problem in Congress? Do you think it's going to be the right or the left? Those who, I mean, he, he's someone who's known as a deal maker, right? And someone who wants to mm-hmm. work across the aisle. Uh, assume he gets 10 conservatives, 10 Republicans to side with him on a particular issue. Does he lose more Democrats for that? I mean, we are we have become so polarized. Who do you think he's going to have bigger tr- more trouble with, the uh, Mitch McConnells of the world or the AOCs? You know, it, it, this is where I think there is a parallel to uh, the Clinton administration, and the answer is it depends on the issue. It's uh, one week it's going to be with progressive Democrats, one week it's going to be with, you know, very conservative Republicans. When I say it depends on, take trade. Uh, Biden's a free trader. He supported um, the uh, TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, Most progressives don't support that. Most Republicans do. And, you know, this is where you put the country's interest first and try to manage in a way where you can get a majority. Uh, because you think it's right, uh, and you know, s- say to your party when when there are people who are not with you, like I'm with you most of the time, but I'm not with you here. Uh, you know, it, it's the the difference, and you know, at some point we're going to have to stop comparing everything back to Donald Trump. But the, the 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 primary difference here is Biden has a set of ideas that he believes are good for the country. Trump had a set of ideas that he thought were good for Trump. And that's the difference. So the politics Trump was playing was by definition um, destructive because he didn't care about the public. Right. The politics that I think Biden will play um, and manage at the end of the day are about what's good for the country. And, you know, politics is politics. That isn't going to change. It's not you can't you, you can't take the approach of I have the best idea. And if you don't think it's the best idea, you know, I'm not moving on this because, you know, it's, I'm the smartest person in the room. Well, the, and we'll, we'll just wait to the midterms. And well, you know, it, that's that's not how it works. It's interesting that you say it that way because, one, I, I, don't, I won't compare him to Trump anymore. We'll step past that. And now we'll go back a little further because what what you were just saying at the end there about, you know, not not necessarily wanting to negotiate as much feeling you're the smartest person in the room, et cetera, sounds a little bit more like the person right before Trump. Um, And I'm sitting here as you're talking and thinking, okay, let's go back to President Obama. He was not necessarily known for his outreach to Congress. Um, He had his reasons. I think he was a wonderful president, but that was not necessarily his strength. George W. Bush, A, didn't reach out to Congress that much, and B, didn't have to because he had his party in control of it for a good portion. I go back all the way to to when you were in the White House with President Clinton, and President Clinton was probably the last president we had who really made an effort to negotiate with people who he disagreed with politically, to work together with and, and reach across the aisle to try to moderate on some issues. And look what they did to him anyway. I mean, they impeached him for something yeah, yeah. ridiculous. So if Joe Biden's strength is working with Congress 
And Congress today, I think we would agree, is even more petty than it was in the 90s. Um, is, he, is, is Joe Biden really right for this moment? Is he going to be able, with his incredible strengths at negotiating and working with people he disagrees with, very similar to President Clinton, is he going to really be able to help sort of heal the divide in this country? Do you think Mitch McConnell's going to work with him? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, let, let me answer it this way. He's the best option we have. Yeah. If you look at the 25 or so um, uh, Democrats that were in the primary, I, you know, because I was doing uh, analysis for CNN, I stayed out of working for anyone or helping anyone or even publicly saying who I was for. But my thought from the beginning was um, Joe Biden offered Democrats the best chance to beat Trump because I thought there was a um, – uh, a high enough kind of revulsion rate to the drama of of Trump that people wanted a steady hand and a proven hand. Um, and Biden was the one who, um, you know, uh, met, met all of that criteria. There was a lot of political talent in there, but there were a lot of question marks too. And, you know, Biden had the least uh, uh, number of question marks. So I don't know if he can do it. I do think we elected the party nominated the right person and the country elected uh, uh, the right person. And, you know, I, I take your point on, um, on Obama. Uh, You know, I, I look at it this way, which is he came in and believed that he was dealing in good faith with Republicans and found out the hard way that they were not dealing in good faith with him. And he, he, you know, I think in some ways threw up his hands and said, okay, we're going to do it our way. Um, uh, listen, I'm not I down think, on President Obama. I think he did a wonderful no, no, job. No, 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 no. But, I, uh, but yeah. arguably, that yeah. wasn't his. He wasn't LBJ when it came to going no. out and, and negotiating and dealing with members of Congress. Yeah, but but Joe Biden but has you, that talent, right? Yeah. If you know, if you you know, if if we're both right that that Bill Clinton had that ability, um, uh, and I for for me, um, Bill Clinton's great strength, one of his great strengths, was he understood politics better than anyone. So he understood his own politics, but he was great at it because he understood his opponent's politics too. And at the end of the day, he was always able to say, if you do this deal, this is what's in it for you. And he, and some of the times, he the, the person he was negotiating with hadn't seen that. And that's how he would get over the hump. Um, you know, I think Obama... Um, uh, uh, that was not his strength uh, uh, among many, many strengths. I think Biden uh, has relationships and he is counting on those relationships. These are people that, you know, he grew up with that are still there. And the, you know, the the operative question is, is it still possible? You know, the, you know, the Republican Party uh, uh, started to change in the 90s with Newt Gingrich's revolution. The Tea Party uh, changed, moved it even further right. And I think, you know, in my personal view is Trump took them, you know, walked them off the plank. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there is no reasoning um, uh, with them. I mean, it's funny because I was talking to someone else today and the Republicans um, in Washington now, their view is, you know, if Joe Biden wants unity, he has to give in to us. Um, you know, Democrats won the election and it was Republicans that precipitated, you know, the, the, 
the domestic terrorism, and they're basically arguing we should just you should just negotiate with us terrorists, you know, and that's that will make everybody feel better. That's not going to happen. That's that's not how it works. I think Biden will find uh, ways to use relationships to ways to knowing for forty plus years how to get things done, and the the we'll know the answer after a couple of years. Uh, because Biden is so skilled at this, if he can do it, you know, we should feel good about the system. If he fails, um, we should worry very much about the system. (laughs) I mean, as as we're sitting here and you're talking about President Clinton's ability to understand politics and understand how, I don't want to call it a game because it's more serious than a game, but you know what I'm saying. Understand how politics plays a role in people's decision-making processes, even in in Congress. I couldn't help but think, back when President Clinton had to negotiate with, uh, whether it be Newt Gingrich or or whoever in the Senate he was dealing with at the time, he, you know, the the gravity, the, the physics, the natural law of politics back in the 90s, was a little bit different. You you could probably understand that if you do this, if you vote this way, then the public sentiment will help you in your next reelection or whatever it is. Isn't there isn't there something to be said or to be feared um, in the fact that back in the nineties, President Clinton didn't quite have the juggernaut of the right wing type media of Fox News, I think it was just coming about towards the end of his yeah. uh, term. Whereas, whereas now, it, the laws of physics really don't apply in politics the way they used to, because other certain media outlets are going to spin or feed completely bullshit stuff <laughs> to yeah. to their bases. No, I mean, is that is that something to concern ourselves to be worried about? Because oh, Joe Biden doesn't I, uh, know the game today. Absolutely. Listen, I think um, uh, Joe Biden knows the game and, you know, you know, where he needs help. He's got very experienced advisors around him who who know the game. But you're you've put your finger on the question, which is, you know, um, can Republicans come to the table in good faith under the threat of being destroyed by Fox? And the right wing machines, OANs, and the yeah. Newsmax, and you know, and Fox, you know, Fox was in an untenable position. They could have moved to the middle or further right. They've moved further to the right to you know, outflank OAN and uh, Newsmax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it is an open question, um, and you know the 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 what um, what makes me optimistic is. Is is Biden is um, the best suited uh, to be president right now? Uh, what makes me pessimistic is um, he may not be able to do it. Joe, you ain't uh, making me feel it, better. <laughs> no, well, I, you know, but it, and and the fact of the matter is, if he can't, then our system is fundamentally and um, terminally broken, and we will need to realign our parties and politics. Um, you know, the, if the Republicans can figure out and get their head around the fact that the country is changing demographically uh, and they need to appeal to different groups except for high school educated, you know, non-college educated whites, um, 
and, you know, become, you know, true conservatives again, but, you know, with, with hints of progressivism, then we'll have a strong two-party system. But if they follow the path that they have been on since, 90, since 2010 of manipulating the system and doing everything they can to hold on to power, to keep that grip on sort of, uh, you know, white rule in this country um, and minority rule in this country, um, this, the system is going to overwhelm them uh, eventually. Well, you know what? That's, it's, a, it's a perfect segue. I know we don't have you for but a minute or two longer, but I, I wanna, we do ask our listeners to send in questions. Um, we do a mm-hmm. quick fire round uh, of questions. We didn't have as much time um, to get them for you this week because it has been a busy week, but we did have a few come in. Frank from Bridgeport, Connecticut asks, does the Patriot Party have a chance or will it just guarantee Democrats the next three elections? And you're talking about the system. Um, Frank is curious about whether or not this is going to be a third-party option all of a sudden. Well, we talk about a third party all the time, and it never right. comes to pass. On the other hand, I don't think we've ever seen a party as divided as the Republican Party is now. I think if you look in the 1970s and 80s, the Democratic Party had a, you know, a divide not quite as sharp uh, and, you know, one of the things that Bill Clinton uh, will get credit for in history is bringing the party back to the center and making it electable nationally again. Well, I don't have to tell you, um, in the 90s, you had a pretty strong third party-ish candidate in Ross Perot. I mean, he got an, he didn't win sure. the electoral votes, but he certainly made a made a dent in the percentages and and he was not quite as strong a personality as Donald Trump is. <laughs> so, yeah, with Trump no, leading it. If the, the fact of the matter, kind of the transformational presidencies um, involve third parties. Ronald Reagan was elected in large part because there was a strong third party candidate. Bill Clinton was elected by and large because there was a strong third party candidate. Um, so I don't, I, I don't um, uh, diminish the importance of these third parties, I'm talking about institutionally. I mean, will we have, uh, you know, congressional candidates in every congressional district? Will you have three choices most of the time instead of two? And, you know, my guess is that um, the, in the long term, I think we will remain a two-party system and we'll have fringe parties. The Patriot Party will be a fringe party, kind of like the, you know, the George Wallace Party of 1968. And the uh, the two parties will be the Republican Party, which will look a lot like the moderate Democratic Party now. And mm. then you'll have the Progressive Party mm. that is going to look a lot like what Bernie Sanders and um, AOC are, you know, Democratic Socialism. And I... I don't use the word the way Republicans do, which is, um, you know, you know, a much stronger safety. So net, some much, Democrats much may more, end up moving to the Republican Party too, because it's more I, That's right. That's and 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 it won't be called the Republican Party. It, you know, I think you you know the labels will change, but the there's there is no stopping the progressive movement among demographics in this country. You know, I think Donald Trump got I can't remember the number, but. It's something like twenty-two or twenty-three percent of people under thirty. Mm. Um, not many. They, they're not saying. all of a sudden going to decide they're against gay marriage when they turn forty, ah. or they're not all of a sudden going to decide that they think climate change is a hoax when they turn forty-five. 
uh, you know, it's so we are good. We are becoming more progressive and the parties will have to adjust. Uh, so I think, you know, the what's left of, you know, Trumpism and the Patriot Party at best will be, a, you know, a fringe movement. Well, I you always know, ask Trump was. Yeah, I always ask at the I was end, say, it, how the heck are we yeah. going to get along? <laughs> and I wonder if this is yeah. part of the part of the way forward is is allowing people their own is is allowing this realignment. Is that a way we get along? Well, I think you know um, the the demographic changes and cultural changes in this country tend to um, run ahead of the political changes. Political changes are often the lagging. Um, you know, you look at the civil rights movement, you look at the anti-war movement in, in um, the late 60s and early 70s. I think the, our, our politics are furiously running to catch up to where the American people are. Uh, and that is only to go that where the American people are as far as their um, progressivism, particularly on social issues, um, is only going to increase um, you know, as older Americans, you know, die off and younger Americans become a bigger part of the population. The Republicans have, um, have steadfastly chosen to try to hold on to the old power structure at their own expense. Mm. Um, they will eventually be replaced by people who understand where the public is. And I think you'll see a much more moderate Republican Party it may not be called the Republican Party. But you'll the the divide in the country. I think twenty five years from now will be between democratic socialism and democratic progressivism. You know, a much more um, you know Bernie Sanders model uh, uh, than a Joe Biden model. Mm. Well, I am just thrilled that we've got Joe Biden for the four years we have him, and, and maybe eight. <laughs> we'll, but but I. I <laughs> I, I'm thrilled that you're not going to call me on it 25 years from now when I'm exactly wrong. So <laughs> no, I'm, I won't be doing this, but I will listen to you. You have a podcast. Anyone who is lis who's listening to ours should check out Joe's Words Matter podcast. Um, and we'll we'll be listening into that for all your other predictions. Because um, I make all the wrong predictions on this show. Um, you get to make the wrong predictions on yours, but here yours are, exactly here yours right. are right. <laughs> as far as we're exactly concerned. exactly right. Joe Lockhart, thank you so much for joining us, and for those who are listening. Oh, thanks for having me. We'll see you next week on how the heck are we going to get along. Thank you again, Joe. I really appreciate it. Sure. Now it was fun. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks.